It takes a brave and independent mindset to go tiny. If you are trying to figure out your tiny pivot, this podcast is here to inspire and connect you with the other unconventional, gritty, inspirational people within this community. I am Laura Lynch, your tiny house friend and host. On this show, we are always going to come back to money because as a financial planner, this is the question I hear the most. How do I make this work for me financially? Well, that's my jam. So jump in. Let's go. New episodes drop every Thursday. Well, hello, everybody. Nick Mel, welcome to Less House More Moolah podcast. I am super thrilled to have you here, to have someone in the professional space of designing tiny spaces on to really talk about what you're seeing. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Would you please introduce yourself to the audience, share where you are, and a little bit about your professional focus within the tiny living arena? Yeah, my name is Nick Mel. I am an architect. I've been an architect for 30-something years in Austin, Texas. That's where I'm based out of. Yeah, I've been doing residential architecture for most of that time. And uh, my business is to create, I'm specializing in small homes, tiny homes, ADUs, accessory dwelling units, and producing the plans and soon to be producing factory made small homes as well. Yeah, this is super exciting. We can't have enough different ways to go tiny because it's all so complicated. And so having different things that are moving forward, I think is great and exciting progress for listeners that they can explore all the different ways that are out there. So Nick, what are you seeing happening specifically in the ADU space and why is it important? The ADU space is gaining in popularity. More and more cities are promoting ADUs as a solution for the affordability crisis, the housing crisis. So the ADUs that we've been doing a lot of are, uh, you know, backyard apartments, backyard garage apartments, accessory spaces that people use for uh, short-term rentals, long-term rentals, sometimes a combination of both. And people can really use it for a supplemental income. You know, not, not only do you see young people who, who kind of need a, a lower barrier of entry to rent an ADU, but you also see empty nesters who perhaps don't need the house, that the, the larger house that they're in, and they'll build an ADU in their backyard and move into that and rent out the, the, the main house. So I think there's what, what I think is, is is great about that that building type is the variety of uses and how it's adaptable to 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 just a, a lot of different needs and situations. Yeah, it seems like that the ADU or casita was definitely a solution for folks that needed to move their family members, maybe their parents in closer to them, but really kind of took off in the extra income opportunity for folks too. And you're right, it's really 
a flexible solution where people can perhaps use it as their primary residence and rent out their larger home and kind of move between the different structures depending on what their lifestyle needs are. You mentioned to me when we talked before that you can put multiple ADUs on a lot in Austin. So that was surprising to me. Share with me a little bit about the rules there specifically. Yeah, that's a new development in Austin, a new ordinance that is that just passed and it's going to go into effect this month. Now, before the rules were that you could have a main house and an ADU on a single family size lot. Uh, if it was a minimum of a certain square footage lot, uh, 5,750 square feet, you could have two structures. But now the city is, is, is trying to uh, increase density lower the cost of, of housing and they think that encouraging people to put more ADUs, more structures on their on their property may be one way to to do that. And so now the city is 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 going to be allowing three structures, dwelling units on every single family home lot. And in yeah, that can be in the that can be in the form of a of a duplex and an ADU or three ADUs, a main house and two smaller houses. It just depends there's certain rules on, on, on what what kind of uh, square footage you can have and what kind of impervious cover you can have. Yeah, that's so interesting because I think sometimes people maybe get caught up in the idea of having one small space as being all that they have access to in the tiny living world. Sometimes, you know, people say things like, oh, I couldn't possibly live like that. But if you have the possibility of having a couple different roofs on your property, right, you can use one space maybe as your workspace and another space as where you live. It doesn't have to all be like separate family entities in each and every space and as listeners know, I'm using a combination of <laughs> different building spaces on, you know, in a, in addition to my tiny house in order to create the functional spaces that you need in your life because I might not need, you know, gigantic living room, but I certainly need somewhere to work. And so, you know, that's the great thing about having that flexibility. You can design your living space around your lifestyle. Right, right. We've been doing this for years and we see all sorts of different things. You know, and, and an ADU is not necessarily a really tiny house. I mean, the city of Austin, I think the biggest size that they allow for an ADU is 1,100 square feet. And if you think about that, that's a two-bedroom, two-bath house, 1,100 square feet. Yeah, that's that's something that, that a couple or even a small family could easily live in. We often think of the ADUs as the ones that, that you see in California that they're building a lot of, these little, basically the size of a garage. But... At least in Austin, and, and and we work in a lot of different parts of the country, but Austin is our base, and and what we see in Austin ranges from as small as three hundred square feet to eleven hundred square feet. Yeah, that was going to be my my next question to you: is where all are you seeing this movement in ADUs happening? You mentioned California, obviously Austin. Where else are you doing this work? Oh, where are we doing it? We've had some work in San Antonio, in Charleston, South Carolina, Tucson. I mean, it's it, I mean, it's really spreading like wild, wildfire. It started on the West Coast, and you know, California adopted a statewide code saying that 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 the entire state has to allow ADUs, and so they're kind of the model 
that that everyone is 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 paying attention to. But a lot of cities around the country are trying to bring awareness to ADUs. I mean, just this last year, we entered several competitions for designing ADUs in different cities. And I mean, Wisconsin, Indianapolis, I mean, all, all over the country, any place that, you, that, that there's an affordability crisis, they're considering promoting ADUs in people's backyards. So cool. So you mentioned earlier that you're working on some factory models. And I know from your LinkedIn page that you have some announcements pending. So talk to us a little bit about off-site construction. What do you think that solves in terms of moving the ADU option forward? Yeah, so it's not unusual. It's not, it's, we're not the first ones to do it, but there, there, there are several companies in California that have off-site modular ADU construction of small small houses. And we thought we'd get into the mix as well because a lot of those are, are, are not, we think we can offer a different aesthetic and a different size and set of features. And most of those are in California, so they don't ship outside of California. The factory that we're working with is in Waukegan, Illinois, just outside Chicago. And so we feel like it's a it's a centrally located factory that can deliver to to a lot of areas of the country in the Midwest and South and Eastern United States. Yeah, and, and so the advantage that we see in it, it's in a it's built in a controlled environment. You can be building the structure while utilities are being put in place on site, permitting is getting put in place, those kind of things. And there are some areas where there's labor shortage shortages. It's it's hard to find skilled labor. We're getting some interest in in areas such as uh, well, you and I had talked about this. Taos, New Mexico is is, mm-hmm. is one area. There's a two two year waiting list to 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 build because builders there's very few builders out there, and and there it doesn't take too much to to uh, to fill up their schedules. But you could come in with a, a factory made small house. Small modern cabin, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, and as long as you set up a foundation and the utilities, that thing can come and be set in one day, and you'd be up and running the next day. Do you feel like that there are, or I mean, you don't have to feel like it. I'm sure you know. Are, is there cost efficiencies there by creating housing in a factory environment as opposed to on-site builds? Yes. What we found is that the uh, the on-site when you're when you're building a, a, a small house, it's difficult to find contractors who will do it, and the contractors that will do it have to charge a premium because it's so small, and they're still putting together all of the same things that they normally would for a big house. They'd be putting you know for body and your, your your temporary utilities in place and all that kind of stuff. So we we usually quote people like typical construction costs these days is three hundred a square foot. Yeah, you can get a little bit less. Certainly can be more expensive. But with a factory-made house, you know what it's going to be built for. It's already, you know, it's a set price. And the only variables are what you have to do to your site to get it ready. And I guess you do have to crane the units in. So that's, that's you know, a couple thousand dollars. And they're, they're, they're being constructed for about the same cost, about $300 a square foot you know, as, as you would expect, a larger houses to be constructed at. Yeah, that's so good because as we know in the tiny house world, when you package all of the same 
amenities, appliances, functionality into a smaller package, it just turns out to seem overly expensive because most of the some of the most costly parts of the home are are all those things that I just mentioned that are squished into a small package. So, you know, my tiny home when I, you know, when I built it, the windows were really, really expensive. The appliances were really, really expensive because I was buying smaller appliances and, you know, trying to make sure that my windows were going to stand up to a trip across the country. And so it's interesting because I think people sometimes think that a tiny home should have a tiny price tag, but the reality is, is you're putting everything that is important and valuable about a home just in a smaller square footage. And it's really not the two by fours that are the costly part of the build. Right. Right. Well said. Yeah. And personally, I think, uh, uh, not personally, but professionally, <laughs> I, know, I know that they're better built. Yeah. When you're not having to fight with the elements where you're not, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. We've all seen it, but I've, I've been a part of a lot of job sites where you're, in the middle of your framing stage and it's pouring down rain or sleeting or snowing <laughs> and you kind of wonder uh you know how the material is gonna gonna hold up well in a factory it's it's you don't have to deal with any of that stuff but plus the factory that we work with work under our specifications so the houses are much much better built anyway than than, than typical construction and we can we can go into that later if anyone's interested in what what, what that might entail. Sustainability too is a thing about producing models in a facility as opposed to stick building a custom. When you see, you know, homes being built on site, a lot of times there's a lot more waste, but in a factory, it can be engineered in such a way to, you know, perhaps make the best use of all the materials. Would you say that that's true? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, any waste that they do have, that's true waste. That if, you know, if it's if it's wood, they'll you know they'll grind it up and and, and make sawdust out of it. If it's little things, but mo- most of the bigger things, they just stack away off to the side and use it on the next project, the, the next uh, the next build. Yeah. Good. So, you know, one of the major challenges in the tiny home world is just kind of getting through building departments and, you know, permits and all of that when it comes to getting something that's unusual or even usual done through a building department. So how have you seen the different jurisdictions that you've been working with on these projects responding to the ADU concept? So the the major cities are all on board with it. It's, there's nothing unusual about about building an ADU. There are some some areas. So it's up to the individual to figure out the what the zoning may be. But there's there's areas HOAs that 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 have restrictions against a certain size of, of unit that you can put in. Sometimes they'll uh, restrict putting in a, a a second home on your property. But if you're in if you're in a, a major city outside of an HOA, it's, it's it, we haven't seen a lot of uh, problems or resistance. In fact, it's it's mostly something that's welcomed by those, those jurisdictions. Awesome. So 
Let's talk a little bit about the home ownership challenge. And you, you know, mentioned it earlier that, you know, we have this sort of affordability crisis. And it's one thing to create short or long term rentals on your property. It's another thing to be able to create home ownership opportunities. And so share with us what you're seeing, at least in Austin, regarding kind of solving for that homeownership lower, you know, entry point challenge. Oh, you're probably talking about the uh, condo regime that we had talked about it earlier. Yeah. In, in Austin, what often happens is if you want to cr- put an ADU on your property and you want to either sell that or, yeah, if you, if you want to sell that ADU, you create a tiny little HOA for your property. It's called a condo regime. Basically, you're, you know, like, kind of like treating the tubes two houses as, as condos and you have to get a lawyer involved and, and it costs five or $6,000, but the documents are put together and you, and you have a little yearly fee for management of it, which is a, as usually a, just a nominal fee. And you can, you can sell those. You can, you can sell the two units separately. And that, that happens all the time around here. And often it's the ADU that's, the more desirable of the of the two, it's kind of more more private and in the in the back of the property, especially if you have an alley. Well, that's you know, that's that's uh, gold right there. <laughs> that's so funny. I, my grandmother's house had an had an alley, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. So. So tell with, you know, like be very explicit, like what happens if you buy into a mini condo, uh, you buy an ADU and that sort of arrangement about financing. Is that just sort of a conventional financing that you would see with any other condo? Yeah. Yeah. There's, not, there's nothing unusual about it at all. It's, it's, it's uh, you can, you can go with conventional financing. The only difficulty that we see sometimes is finding the right comps. To purchase a small unit like that, so if there's not many ADUs in in your city or in the in the immediate area, then determining what what the what what the cost should be, what the market value is, can be difficult. But in Austin, it's 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 so common, and in a lot of cities that we see, it's 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 common enough that that hasn't been a problem. It, it was maybe six, seven, eight years ago, but. Nowadays, it's 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 very common. So I get the sense from your website that you're pretty passionate about some of the work that you're doing on the smaller spaces. So share with us a little bit about how you see your role and sort of forwarding this avenue of more housing and maybe more sustainable housing. Uh, what about this really gets at the heart of of what you want to be doing? I mean, I'm in the same struggle as everyone else. You know, affordability is getting more and more difficult. We, as a family, as my family, we're not ready to, to to downsize quite yet. But there are so many options for what you can do with a small house. You know, you can you can you can live in it yourself, like you do. You can rent it out. You can sell it, as as we've been describing. You could have a second home someplace. This is this is something that we're seeing more common among the younger generation is not buying one big house that you can live in for for twenty years, but you know, buy a house in one place and another house someplace where you like to 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 visit. And when you're not there, you rent it out. So there's there's quite a bit of flexibility. 
going back to the original question, my, my passion for it. Yeah, I mean, I've been an architect for for 30-something years, and I always gravitate towards the smaller stuff. I know it goes against the, the, the conventional wisdom of what makes <laughs> what makes a you know what what architects usually build. But I just like the I like the challenge of, of of designing on a smaller scale, and I like the 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 the, the way that uh, uh, I mean, we're working on a concept that's on our I think it's apparent on our website that a tiny home can be uh, not only sustain yourself, but if you hook up solar, if you can create solar energy and solar battery storage, it can power your vehicles and power, you know, you can just be off grid if you want. I live in Texas and, and uh, the reliability of, of the power grid is, is very suspect. It's gone down several times in the last several years. And more and more people are are looking for what they can, what they can do to prevent that. I mean, two years ago we had that really awful snowstorm, ice storm. It shut everything down for for a week. It was it was rough. It was it was, it was rough not living with heat and water <laughs> for four days. Those yeah. are bad memories. I don't want to go back to those. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a lot of folks out there that are realizing that the things that we thought were sure things may not be so sure, and that maybe we should all be working a little bit more to make sure we can take care of ourselves and, you know, building out some competencies around resilience or maybe some infrastructure around resilience. And, you know, what does that look like? And certainly we're in times of what I call compounding change. And so, you know, you want to kind of prepare yourself for your family in whatever way you can to, you know, maybe be able to take care of yourself a little bit more, not be so dependent. Yeah. There's this concept that I heard recently called climate resilience. So, you know, climate change is, is, is no longer something that, 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 that we question that it's already here. So climate resilience is, is adapting to the changes in, in, in climate and one of those adaptations is to prepare for disaster. <laughs> you yeah. know, prepare to be if you have to be on your own, if you have to be off 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 the grid, you know, you know, at least have some allowances for dealing with that. Yeah, for sure. Redundancies, right? I study permaculture, and that's what we learn about in permaculture is creating redundancies, different water sources, different energy sources kind of redundancy in the way that we're, you know, adding to our own food supply and, you know, just all those things. How can we create some redundancies in our lives in order to have a little bit more resilience no matter what happens? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any good tips to pinpoint people to when you and I talked, it was the first time that I had heard about the ADU condo, condo regime. Is there a place that you can point people to? Is there a website or some resource that folks could check out? There really aren't. Uh, think of it as a, as, a, as a condominium, you know, as an HOA. For, mm-hmm. for, you know, an HOA is basically there are neighborhoods are also organized this way. My my advice would be talk if 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 you are thinking about putting an ADU in, in in on your property and maybe selling it to speak to a a local attorney and someone who does uh, land law and uh, and, and see what your options are. Yeah. 
Land Lawyer. There we go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's Awesome. So do you have anything you'd like to share in specifically around your sustainability focus in your designs? You mentioned aesthetic earlier and we talked about, you know, some having some energy creation. Is there anything else that you really focus on from a sustainability perspective in your designs? Yeah, well, we've been doing sustainable, we've been sustainable architects for a long, for a long time. I think we we follow the basic mantra that Saving energy is a lot easier than creating energy. So, so we go from, from the standpoint of just, just making our, our designs as, as energy efficient as possible. So that starts with the, the simplest of all things is solar orientation. Don't, don't work against the, the elements. And so whenever we do a design and, and, and even the pre, pre-designed homes that we, that we offer on our website, all of them come with a suggested or preferred solar orientation so that if there's solar panels on the house, if there's windows facing, you want your windows to be not, not to be facing west in, in most right. cases, they, 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 all the houses have been designed with that in mind. And then we do integrate solar in a lot of the designs. And although it is harder to create energy, we think that this technology has gotten to the point where it makes a lot of sense to put solar on your house, to integrate solar into the roof. Because there's a number of companies we've worked with Tesla, we've worked with a, a couple other companies that that instead of applying it to your roof, like, like on top of your shingles, on top of your metal roof, it actually is the roof. Like Tesla makes a shingle product that is, it looks like a shingle, but it's a, a photovoltaic, you know, solar panel, and the and the ROI on those has gotten to be really really good, especially the further west you go, where energy is more expensive, the, the, the more it makes sense to, to uh, create your own energy. And if you can get it paid off, I mean, if it pays for itself in six or seven years, I mean, how many products are like that? That's, that's, a, that's a good payoff. Awesome. And what do you think about the lifetime duration on those products? What happens to them in 20 years, say? Yeah, they, I mean, the, the products themselves are very durable. We, we had someone from uh, Tesla in our office with their product mm-hmm. taking a hammer to it and they couldn't, they couldn't damage it. But the cells inside of them degrade over time mm-hmm. and they need to be replaced or upgraded. Right, right now, it's, it's like every 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the technology is, is, is getting better and better. And so who knows? That number keeps, keeps rising. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Nick, thank you so much for your perspective on designing in a sustainable way and creating ADU opportunities for housing and all of the great wisdom that you shared with us today. If listeners want to track you down, where do they do that? Uh, We have a website, nanabode.com. We also have Instagram, Instagram, I believe it's nanabode.homes is our Instagram account. And uh, we're on Facebook at just nanabode. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely put links in the show notes. Nick, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really enjoyed talking about this ADU concept and the work you're doing. Okay. Uh, Thank you for having me. I, I really had a good time. 
Hey, I'm honored that you listened to this episode of Less House, More Moolah. I hope something in it will help you continue to move toward a life aligned with your values. Every algorithm out there is trying to tell us what to prioritize, but we get to choose. If you haven't ever identified your key values, I have a free resource on my website to help you. Just have to go to thetinyhouseadvisor.com. It's thetinyhouseadvisor.com. At the bottom of the page, you can grab the Tiny Life Values Worksheet. When we design a life around what is our core truth, we shortcut to deep fulfillment. See you next Thursday. Please see the show notes for important disclosure regarding the Tiny House Advisor LLC and this episode.